a central unifying idea must be at the heart of an effective sermon. Or Andy Stanley in Communicating for a Change, every message should have one central idea. Once you get your sermon material, you have to decide how to structure it. And we've been debating this with my co-host, Kevin Miller. I'm Matt Woodley at Monday Morning Preacher. Thanks for joining us. Kevin, great to have you with us for this part two to our series on three-point versus one-point sermons. Yeah, I'm excited to be back and finally have a chance to argue my case. <laughs> well, in the previous episode, I humbly and yet <laughs> elegantly argued for the merits of the old-school three-point sermon. Now my dear friend and colleague, Kevin Miller, will attempt to argue for the merits of the one-point sermon. And I believe you had a, um, a proposed title for this episode, something vague and unpretentious. What was that title? The Admittedly Brilliant and Irrefutable Case for the One-Point Sermon. Like I said, vague and unpretentious and also humble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you noticed. Yes. So, Kevin, we've been joshing each other and we've been good friends and we kind of agree more than we disagree on this, but there is a very serious side to this question that I want to bring out at the very beginning, and let's be clear what we're both striving for in various options for structuring a sermon, and that is just providing a clear path for our people to hear and respond to God's Word, and that's what we're both really after. So no matter how you structure your sermon, we both have an urgency around declaring God's Word with simplicity, clarity, relevance. We're on the same page with that, right? Amen. You know, let's start by looking at all the folks who argue for the three-point sermon. Over there, we have Matt Woodley, Matt Woodley, and Matt Woodley. <laughs> Which I noticed that's three points. <laughs> <laughs> While arguing for one point, may I summon to the stand your honor, Aristotle, well, actually, I'm not sure if he ever argued for one point. I just thought if I could name drop an ancient Greek philosopher right here at the get-go, you, you would capitulate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why don't you throw Augustine in there while you're at it? You yeah, know? okay. But seriously, I called it the stand Haddon Robinson, the late great, who in his masterwork, Biblical Preaching, says a central unifying idea must be at the heart of an effective sermon. Andy Stanley, in Communicating for a Change, Every message should have one central idea. So, well, yeah. we bring these experts to the stand who have been paid good money to be <laughs> expert witnesses. Keep that in mind, folks. So, I believe you're going to present your case for the one point sermon. And can I just ask how many points you have to buttress your case for the one point sermon? Well, three, but you weren't <laughs> supposed to notice that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I didn't. Let's just leave that off the table. <laughs> well, the first point is that it's clearer. And here's why. When you have three points, you have triple the amount of content or concepts for people to take in and keep straight. C.S. Lewis used to compare listeners to sheep going down a farm lane. And he said, if you leave any gate open on either side, they will dash into mm -hmm. that pasture and not go down the lane where you want them to go. And so when you have a three-point sermon, what can happen is you just opened up two additional gates for your sheep to go into. Now, I will acknowledge this, Matt, to your 
argument for three-point sermon. You can have three ideas in your sermon if they belong so tightly and integrally together that you could not imagine them ever separated, like uh, Mo, Larry, and Curly. Um, <laughs> Great analogy. But what often happens in a three-point sermon, right, is you kind of get three mini-sermons, three sermonettes that don't have that integral connection. So a one-point sermon is generally going to be clearer for the listener. That leads me to my second point for the one-point sermon. <laughs> it is easier to remember. I have a friend who was working on a master's degree in market research. And so as a class project, she stood outside of her church one Sunday morning. And as people came out from the worship service, she stopped them with a clipboard and asked them a few questions about what they remembered from the sermon. And what she found is that when her pastor preached a three-point sermon, people remembered one. Mm. They didn't always remember the same one, but they, they were walking out of church with one point. So what I feel we should all understand and accept is however many points you have, people are going to walk out with one. So I think it's just easier to just say, okay, I'm going to pick the one mm. <laughs> and here you go. Um, because the reality, as Andy Stanley puts it, is by the time you get to your last point, nobody much remembers the first one. That's a good point. We do because we've spent all week with it, but they don't. All right, so clearer, easier to remember. And then finally, a uh, third reason why I like the one-point sermon is that it is more likely that people will act on it. It's more likely that they'll take action. I remember in my early days at Christianity Today when there were these things called magazines and you had ah, direct yeah. mail. Yeah, it's like a web page, only you used ink on pressed wood pulp. It was really cool. Yeah, right. Anyway, there used to be offers that we would you know, offer to our subscribers and one time I, I was looking, proofreading one, and, and it said, you know, sign up now and get 60% off or something like that. And I said, can we add a little other option here, like, and also get this deal for your friend? You know, the person in charge of marketing looked at me and said, anytime you add another choice, you dilute response, you actually make mm. it weaker. Because there's some people who are like, well, I don't know, do I want to do that or do I want to do that? Oh, it's too, I don't know. And then they get confused and they stop thinking and they stop checking the box and they stop returning the postcard. And so what you want to do is just bring it all down to one invitation, one action, one response. And as Dave Ferguson, who wrote The Big Idea, says, focus less on information and more on action. And one point helps people do that. I will point out just, just, and then I'll drop it, that your three points about why the one-point sermon is better were, were quite, quite compelling. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I told you, I'm preaching on John 2, where Jesus clears the temple, and that just cannot be a three-point sermon, because you got this gripping narrative with all this great detail and to chop it up into three points is you're going to ruin the the narrative and the emotional impact of that text so so there you go all right so maybe you're saying even as a three-point sermon guy like yourself yeah if the narrative is compelling and needs to stand on its own don't chop it yeah and that's probably true more times than i would like to admit because Three-point guys like me can get a little lazy sometimes and just sort of like, well, there's got to be three points in here somewhere. So my template 
supersedes the actual biblical text itself. So, But I'm, I'm going to come your way too. As much as I'm a one-point sermon guy, and probably 75% of my sermons are one-point or tend yeah. to be, let me say there are, just like you've discovered, there are certain sermons where you'll go to one point. There are certain sermons that will call me over to three points, and I'll just list two of those. One is what I call the summary of something complex. Hmm. Yeah. Sometimes you've got to give an overview of a a sprawling, complex subject. And one point, if you tried to reduce it to that, would actually oversimplify and therefore mislead. So, for example, if I'm preaching a sermon on the doctrine of the Trinity, I might not be able to get that down to one point and Mm. still prevent the popular misunderstandings that people have about the Trinity. Or I'll give you an example from my own preaching. I preached a sermon series on wisdom literature, and each sermon was on an overview of the entire book. So I did Psalms, mm. Proverbs, right. Ecclesiastes. And when I got to Song of Songs, I realized if I try to express the wisdom of Song of Songs in one point, that one point might be something like love is good or human love is beautiful. But that standing alone would be, to me, oversimplifying the book, it would be misleading. So I needed three points. So I went with love is good, love is powerful, and therefore needs to be protected. The most common phrase in the song is, let me warn you, sisters in Jerusalem, don't excite love, don't stir it up until the time Mm -hmm. is ripe and you're ready. And then the third point, pointing to the overwhelming tradition of interpretation in the church and in Judaism, is that love is non-ultimate. Human love in the song points beyond itself to the greater love of God Okay. People. So anyway, I felt like I needed three points because it was trying to summarize something that is multifaceted, complex. So you've been thinking about this a lot. You've been practicing on a lot. And I, I would say you're a master at getting things just honed to that one focus, you know? So how do you do this week after week? You have a pattern, right? The, uh, the hook, book took or um... well yeah that is true one of the points you made in our three-point sermon podcast episode matt was that you like the three-point because it gives you movement from scene yeah. to scene to scene right and i among your many flimsy arguments i liked that one <laughs> comments no comments <laughs> and so i think that is a real advantage and so what i'll try to do with my one pointer is i'll still have three motions within that one point so for, you know, I usually the first motion, excuse me, is what I call the hook. Why do I need the one point of this sermon? What is the problem or question or dilemma that I and human beings face? And then the middle movement is the point itself from the word of God. And then the final movement is how can we step into this glorious truth, this one point? So I don't know if I've just expressed that clearly, but it's hook, book, took. There's one point, but it has three movements. So maybe what I'm really arguing for is the one point, three motion sermon. Yeah, that makes sense. So that middle section, the book, okay, there's a lot of material there. What do you do? Do you just walk through the text verse by verse or how do you? So the main section, you're, you're grabbing people probably with a story or a question or a problem and you're. Right. Maybe showing what Brian Chappell calls the fallen condition focus. Why does this matter? Why do we all care about this? Why do you need to hear this? And then 
The last one is the application. Here's how you live it out. But that middle section, what do you do with that middle section? I think that's what a lot of people really struggle. Well, it is a challenge because it's the longest section of your sermon and yeah. you want to be engaging. So my view on that is like I'm a guide at the Louvre for people and no human being can view the entire contents of the Louvre collection. Ah. So you need a tour guide introducing you to the highlights and showing you how to appreciate the most important works within that section. So uh, I don't know if that's the right analogy or not, but I'll ask questions yeah. like this to try to help me get there. What is surprising about this text? What is the good news of this text? Where do I meet Jesus in this text? Or where do I meet the Lord in this text? So when I ask questions like that, it starts to sort of bring out the contours of that text. And I'm willing to not comment on a verse or two so I can spend a little more time on what I think is the more prominent feature of that text. Yeah, that's a really good point. So we're both preaching on John 2 a week from this Sunday. There's a lot going on in that passage. So it's John 2 verses 12 through 25. Yeah. There's a lot going on, a lot of details, a lot of excitement. I think sometimes preachers get really stuck, no matter what, three point, one point, where they have to comment on everything. And preaching is selective. You know, you can't cover everything. So you have to figure out what I'm going to focus on and then what am I going to say about that focus? What am I going to say about that big idea? What am I going to say about that big picture? So we're always doing some selection work. And I like your, your idea that, you know, you can't cover every single painting in the Louvre, you know? Yeah, well, Henrietta Mears, who had such a fantastic ministry and influenced Dale Bruner and Bill Bright yeah. and so many other great evangelical leaders of the post-war generation, she used to say that the Bible is not there to teach you the Bible. The Bible is there to introduce you to Jesus Christ. And so I want to look for where do I meet the Lord in this text and try to spend most of the passage there. You do say, though, that you might have more than one audience in your sermon. Oh, right. Um, well, let's get back. I'm sorry. States. Yeah, that is another reason. No, no, no. So that's, that's a really good point. So that could be either for a three-point sermon or a three-point application. So unpack that for us. Well, yeah, sometimes you need a three-point sermon when the audiences that you have within your list among your listeners are so distinct that they need to hear a distinct word so for example if i'm preaching on marriage i look out and i see many adult singles in my congregation and so i want to make sure that i'm speaking a word from say this pauline text from ephesians or whatever on marriage that will also speak to them and then i do want to speak to those who are married and then the third audience i might want is those who are maybe just exiting a marriage, they just had a painful divorce they didn't want, mm. or maybe they're in a marriage that is highly strained and is divorce-like, if, even if it's not formally yeah. divorced. And, and so I may need to speak a word to them. So if I have those kind of clear, distinct audiences like that, I may need to have three different segments of the sermon. And so now I'm arguing your case for the three-point sermon, and that is not what I set out to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it could also be a three-point application. As it could be, yes. So, right. So let's let's get to the bigger the bigger picture here. Is one of your passions and one of the things you're really good at is just clarity and simplicity. 
and you've been preaching for a long time. You've been studying the craft of preaching. Uh, why are you so passionate about that? What have you come to learn about clarity and simplicity in your preaching ministry? Why is that so important? Well, it's it's really hard, but it's like the tip of a welding flame. It just brings this clarity and simplicity, this intensity mm -hmm. and focus for you and for the listener that is so worth it. Haddon Robinson used to say, a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. Mm, right. And so I got to get in my mind that this sermon, down to one idea so simple and so short, a fourth grader could remember it, say it, and get it. That's what mm. I'm shooting for. And the hardest part is getting me there. And the hardest part about getting me there is I found all these amazing and interesting and wonderful things to say about the text. So I generally jot all my notes during my study time, and then I have to cut out more than half of what I generated during that yeah. when I'm going to the finished sermon. So I, honestly, unless I cut out usually over 50% of all the gems that I found while I'm studying, right. the sermon will be too cluttered and will not accomplish its central purpose. Well, I have two images for this, and one is a path through the woods. And as the preacher, you are leading your people on a path. And so sometimes I'm listening to sermons and I'm going, where's the path? Where are we going? Where is this preacher taking me? You know, mm -hmm. where's this preacher taking us? I don't, I saw it, but now I've lost it. I, I think we're all kind of lost in the woods. So ask yourself as a preacher, what is the path? Where am I going with this? Where do I want to take people with this? And if you don't know, your people sure aren't going to know. And the second image is actually an image you gave me, which is quite brilliant. <laughs> Admittedly. <laughs> Humbly. You said uh, sometimes uh, sermons are like uh, pearls, uh, a pearl necklace with no string. There's like all these gems, all these little jewels, but there's nothing holding it together. Um, it's just kind of loosely. They're just not connected at all. So however. However you do this, your sermon, the thoughts, the ideas, the parts and pieces of your sermon, they need to be connected, right? I mean, that's that's your great image. Well, it sounds, Matt, like you and I actually are ending up at the same place, which is... Oh, that's too bad. I wanted to have like a real debate. Whether you're brilliant like I and do most of your sermons as one-point sermons, right. or whether you're admittedly inferior like Matt and do most of them <laughs> like three points... What we're really after is a clear structure that helps us as the preacher and our listeners as the listeners take in the Word of God and be able to respond to it. Yeah, right. And then when you get to the conclusion, when you get to the application, you don't have a, another whole idea smuggled in. It's integrally related to your point or points or whatever, but it just all flows together. I couldn't I, say it better. <laughs> well, then let's stop. <laughs> so we've been having this friendly debate. We thought we were really disagreeing, and we actually have way more ground for agreement than disagreement, which is, I guess, in the end, that's very uh, not surprising because we both care so deeply about God's Word and want our people to hear it and respond to it. So uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Kevin, for being with us as co-host. Thanks for joining us on Monday Morning Preacher.